Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. <laughs> Don't microwave your face. I have solid research saying that that is not a great idea. Michelle, what day of quarantine are we in? Um, what day of self-isolation are we in? I am in day I just binged all of Tiger King. <laughs> I can't watch it. It's really I... crazy. It doesn't like, um, yeah, there is some. Like, it it implies that some animals were mistreated, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh. Um, I know. It's sad. I Look, but... I want to watch it because everybody's making fun of it and I, I can't join in. I know. And it's like. Tigers, cults, murder, someone fed their husband to tiger. Like, it's it's insane. It's so oh. insane. It's like, you start watching it and you're like, okay, like, this guy's not great. And then you're like, oh, this guy's not great either. And you're like, oh, that chick's super not great. And you're like, everyone sucks. <laughs> oh. Everyone is a criminal in some way. It's very Florida. It's very Oklahoma. Do you think True Crime Obsessed is going to do a podcast on it? Are they absolutely. On it? Oh, absolutely. What are you doing? What are you doing with your quarantining? Um, I cleaned a lot. I vacuumed. Oh, wow. I dusted. Um, I've been taking the dogs for long walks. Nice. Yeah, I wish the weather would cooperate. It was like really nice last week, but this week it's a little bit chilly, and I um, I just want to be like universe. I'm unemployed and socially distancing. So at least give me some sunshine. Absolutely. Um, I agree. It's hard to get the kids outside when it's not the nicest, but I set up the trampoline yesterday. So they've been on that. I'm sure my neighbors are thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) They're all at home now and they're like, oh, this is great. Uh Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you've been trying to like homeschool a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so every Monday I get an email from three different teachers about three different lessons that need to be done and my oldest can do them on his computer. My other girls have to do a lot of it written and then I have to take a picture of it or scan it and send it back to the teacher. It's a lot. It's a lot of coordinating. I've I was very like anti-schedule because I'm not that kind of mom, but I did set up a schedule. So every day now they'll do their schoolwork for an hour and then they'll do reading or an educational website for an hour. And then that's it for the day. Like, Oh, that's good. Well, and I think they're saying like you should, kids only need like while they're home, like two hours or so. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah, so I'm just trying to make it uh, as, I don't know, painless as possible, but there's always there's always drama. There's always something, right? So, I mean, last week, none of my equipment was working. My laptop stopped working. My printer stopped working. Um, I'm excited that we are going to be interviewing Jamie today. 
I know. It should be so, so interesting. It's funny. Like, I'm nervous because we went, so we went to high school with Jamie. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was almost, we met her almost, well, t- over 20 years ago because we met her doing My Fair Lady. Um, Wait, wasn't high school, like, two years ago? <laughs> Oh, right. Right. Just, yeah. Two years ago, we graduated. Um, (laughs) And it should be really good because she is a first year resident doctor um, in Ottawa. So I think that'll be like a really interesting conversation. I think like for me, and I think a lot of people are picturing the hospitals as just being this like chaotic, crazy, like, I need a... And I don't know, like nine millimeters. No, nine. <laughs> <That's> a gun. <laughs> I need a nine millimeter. I think that's why we're not doctors. Amazing. You're amazing. And oh, thanks. Oh. You're amazing. <laughs> and in case anyone hasn't told you today, you look beautiful. Thank you. Uh- Jamie, thank you so much for doing this. When you sent a, you like posted something about um, being like, hey, if you're still doing that podcast, have I got a story for you? (laughs) Yep. And that was what sparked. I was like, hey, why aren't we doing this podcast in the middle of a pandemic? Like, what else are we doing? Um, We talked about My Fair Lady yesterday. Um, Oh, My Fair Lady. I miss that. That was so oh great. Oh my God. Every time I bring it up with Devin, she gets so mad because she auditioned and didn't get a role. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, um, Mr. Doyle asked her to be in like the, like the backstage background. production. And, and she said no. <laughs> like 20 years later. And she's like still just a little bit bitter about it. Wait, wasn't That's she amazing. in it? I thought she was in the background. No, she wasn't. I I was mad because I got a chorus role. Like I can't sing worth a damn. And I remember being really upset that I didn't get Liza. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> so fun story. I was literally the only person in that entire production that wasn't even asked to sing. Like oh that's how God. bad it was. I didn't sing in that entire production. They deliberately took me off stage every time a song was going to happen. Oh out of threat God. that I might try to sing. <laughs> they must wow. have like you must have done something right though. You must have had the dancing down or something. Lord just, only knows. I, I didn't think I was particularly coordinated either, but there we were. Carly, well, you my just fair insulted lady. our podcast guest by telling her she can't sing. I, I can't, so really <laughs> um, my entire residency cohort just found that out because we had to make our Christmas rounds video in like six hours, and so it had a musical interlude by moi, and everybody was sad that that happened. So oh, no. It was no good. It was no good. And well, it's a surefire way to make sure that no one asks you to do it again. Well, That's Jamie, true. this is awkward because this is actually a singing podcast where we sing. <laughs> we just break out into song every, you know, couple seconds. Yeah. Good. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> I This is my first time on a podcast, so that's not blatantly obvious. Um, <laughs> no, it's you're our very first natural. time, too. Yeah. <laughs> 
the secret's out. By the time people listen to a few episodes, they're going to know we have no idea what we're doing. Well, that's good. Yeah. It's um, the spontaneity. Like, it makes it, I don't know, relatable or something. That's, isn't that what they say in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. That's, totally. well, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're banking on. Um, <laughs> our just relatableness. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we wanted to interview you because you are a medical, no, uh, like, what are you? You're a resident of psychiatry? <laughs> <There he is>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What am I? A question I ask myself <laughs> literally every day. Um, <laughs> I am a medical resident in psychiatry, uh, but I'm a PGY1, which means it's my first year of residency. So um, a majority of your first year is spent off service, which means I spend most of the year on medical services anyway. And certainly now it's looking like I may spend even a little bit more time than I bargained for on some medical services. Um, yeah. And so what's interesting is you went to, so your goal is psychiatry, um, but because it's a medical science, you are now having to do rounds in like other types of medicine, right? So everybody in their first year of residency does that regardless of what specialty they're going to do um, from family medicine to psychiatry to ophthalmology, gynecology. It doesn't matter. You do a more general first year because uh, the idea behind first year medicine is you learn to be a doctor uh, and also because there's so much overlap between what we do. Um, certainly there have been psychiatrists that have walked in the office and found a patient having a heart attack. Uh, there was one ill-fated psychiatrist uh, a couple of years ago who had to deliver a baby in a parking lot. So oh my um, God. <laughs> it's in general just kind of uh, something where they say, if you have the letters MD after your name, you should have uh, some medical training and be able to kind of cover a, med- a medical emergency if you have to. And then mm-hmm. you do your specialist training uh, to be more skilled in a certain area. And that's where you do a majority of your practice and eventually all of your practice. Wow, that's really interesting. And so what? why did you choose to focus on psychiatry? Like what brought you down that road? So uh, prior to going to medicine, I have a master's in clinical social work. So I was already doing a lot of mental health stuff. I worked pediatric emergency um, and I loved it. And so when I was looking at medicine as a potential option, it was something that I'd thought about back in high school Uh, but had never really convinced myself that I could get in. So I gave up really fast. Uh, And then I always loved psychology. I loved clinical social work and it was a really natural fit for me. Uh, And I like the kind of work that you do in psychiatry. I like uh, helping people kind of reclaim their lives in a really unique way. Uh, And it's a really unique area of medicine that has a lot of very, very cool ways that it can interact with other areas of medicine. Wow. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's probably, I don't know, is it a good thing or a bad thing that you're doing your first year of residency during a pandemic? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I will tell you when I find out. Um, I think it's it's certainly an interesting time to be a first year resident. Um, And it's an interesting time to be a physician at all. Uh, So I think there are pros and cons. I mean, certainly... Um, I am closer to some of the medical rotations that I've done and some of the medical skills than my colleagues who have been away from general medicine for many years. So if I'm called up to do other things, um, I have a little bit more recent experience and I'm probably feeling a little bit more confident in managing that, uh, at least 
you know, in very basic ways. Um, whereas some of my more senior colleagues have said, you know, oh, it's been a long time since I've done that. I better do some reading to make sure that my skills are up to snuff and that I still know kind of the proper procedures and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but that's very much um, typical for medicine where you'll suddenly realize there's a thing you aren't entirely up to date on and it's your job to go figure it out. So I think we'll all get there. Uh, but it's kind of nice to have just, you know, left my emergency rotation four months ago. And so mm-hmm. I still know how the eMERGE works. Because of the pandemic happening, obviously it requires more doctors. Um, is it because there are more cases that more doctors are required? So are you covering for them because they are dealing with the the patients that are dealing with this COVID-19? Or are you um, covering because maybe some of them are in isolation or that they can't be there? Like, is it a short staff situation or that make any sense? It does. And all of the above. So um, (laughs) at least this varies by province. So depending on where you are in the country or in the world, this will be different. Uh, But each individual province has their policies on isolation for healthcare workers who have a COVID exposure or who have respiratory symptoms. Uh, Mm -hmm. And those range from uh, you're off for 72 hours and then we swab you. And as soon as you come back negative, you can go back to work to you're off for 14 days minimum. Uh, and so <laughs> depending on where you are and what that looks like, um, it can create short staff really, really quick because mm-hmm. I mean, it is still cold and flu season. So right. um, certainly like in some hospitals, if you come in and you have a runny nose in the mid, this is the middle of allergy season where I am. <laughs> Yeah. If I show up with a runny nose because of snow mold, uh, they would send me home and isolate me. Wow. And so um, it does obviously start to create some issues around short staffing just because mm-hmm. we're being cautious, which we need to be. Uh, but also, um, <laughs> we still need people in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess for me, like when I when I picture the hospital right now, and I don't know, like I picture like an episode of ER or I mean, Grey's Anatomy for people who aren't as ancient as I am, but um, <laughs> just like chaos and running around and craziness. And, and obviously that's probably not true, but when you're walking into the hospital, like you said, you, if you have a runny nose, then they would send you away. So there's obviously protocols when you're walking in, are they doing temperature checks? Are they doing swabs and things like that before you even enter the hospital? So this is another thing that'll vary by province, by hospital, by site, uh, all sorts of things like that. So uh, they do ask um, questions of everybody who's visiting the hospital right now in Ontario or coming in for a test. You can't visit anybody right now, but if you're coming in for a test that's been scheduled, uh, you'll be asked at the door uh, about questions that would make you higher risk for COVID or recent symptoms. Um, And as a staff, we do have our own screening process and basically what they've done is they've sent us out kind of the list of things that we have to be able to respond no to confidently to be allowed to come to work. Uh, And then we are um, directed to a different table where somebody just sort of verifies, yes, you are a staff, you have a badge. It is in fact your badge. And then uh, they give you hand sanitizer. They make you wash your hands. um, And then just remind you that if, there's just reminders there basically that if you are symptomatic, that you shouldn't be at work and that you need to follow the proper protocol for that. Those Mm -hmm. change um, fairly frequently right now. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they evolve again and 
they may actually start with temp- doing temperature checks or things like that. I know that was certainly something that was done in Sierra Leone when they had mm-hmm. the Ebola outbreak. They took temperatures of everybody getting off planes. I don't think we're there yet in Canada, but you never know, depending on sort of what this unfolds like. Yeah. Um, I, we've seen other countries do it. I have no idea if we would. Right. Wow. And when when did you start to th- see the <laughs> when did you start to see things shift? Um, so like we've been talking, Michelle and I've been talking about like it seems like just a few weeks ago we were at Costco and we kind of laughed when the Costco person offered to disinfect our cart for us and we're like oh yeah that's fine, um, and then it literally was like the next day it felt like suddenly. We were like, oh, closed and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I wonder, from a medical perspective, like being in a hospital, when did you sort of start to see things shift, and how did they shift? So I know, at least from the perspective of my rotations, uh, COVID, not known then as COVID, but um, the Wuhan novel coronavirus, as it was known <laughs> then, um, people started talking about that in, you know. January, February, when it was showing up in Wuhan, and we were all like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It, you know, it, is it another kind of flu? Is this another SARS? Um, and sort of watching with vague interest of what that looked like. Um, and then as it started to spread, people started to get a little bit more concerned. Uh, and certainly the last couple of weeks to probably a month, month and a half, we've started to get a lot more Um, communication about it. A lot more people saying, you know, we really need to flatten this curve. It's very important. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, it's the last probably three to four weeks where things have started to get a lot more intense in terms of uh, communication to staff and policies and trying to put safeguards in place to prevent it from taking off here the way that it's um, taken off in some areas of the States and Italy and places like that. Wow. And I thought it was really interesting when you messaged me about uh, the personal protection equipment. Um, And so you have had to, and I'm sure like it's very similar for most, a lot of doctors um, have had to buy their own. Is that something you normally have to do? Just like, it's like a uniform, you're responsible for getting your own or are you in a place where it's, there are such low resources that everybody's sort of getting a little more creative? Um, so no, typically we don't have to buy our own and the hospital does provide it. And I will say that right now my hospital is still providing masks with face shields and all of those sorts of things. Um, I decided to go out and purchase, um, a set of just eye, like eye protection for myself because, um, just, I know where the masks with face shields are located and I want, uh, they're not always in the areas where I'm most commonly in. We have just the regular procedure masks. And then the other piece is trying to preserve um, the, you know, PPE that offers greater protection for the people that are doing the higher risk procedures, higher risk Mm -hmm. patient encounters, things like that. So having another option available to me where if I, if I'm going to somewhere that is much more low risk that I can um, don different equipment or equipment that is in less demand and, preserve some of that for my colleagues is something that I felt was important. I know my um, colleague in uh, another province did have to purchase her own because they were running out of face shields entirely and it was going to come down to like not having them. Uh, And certainly in the States, we've seen just a scary lack of personal protective equipment at hospitals where, 
you'll see photos, particularly out of New York, of people using garbage bags and wearing like hockey masks and all kinds of things uh, because they don't have any personal protective equipment left. We're very privileged in Canada that, uh, at least at my uh, hospital sites, that we still do have access to our personal protective equipment and we are given the ability to use it. Um, Some hospitals have started to try and put some limits and, and be a little bit more conscientious in their consumption of those resources, which is important. Um, But there is still a lot of thought and very kind of like people are being thoughtful about safety and we're very blessed to be in a country that feels that way. Mm -hmm. Wow. And because what is the, um, for the masks, like their N95 masks, I think are the ones that hospitals use. What is sort of the timeline that they should be wearing them? And is that being extended like as a measure of just making them last longer? So in the U.S., they're all wearing N95 masks still, um, and they're wearing them for days and days and days, in some cases, weeks on end. Um, They are designed, I want to say, for about eight hours worth of use, but um, they can, if you, uh, there's now some documents out that were created in conjunction with the people who created N95 masks that allow you to extend the use a little bit farther if you follow certain procedures in between using them and have enough of a time space in between that it is still safe to use them for longer periods of time. Um, In other areas, so in Canada, um, N95 is not the universal mask typically. that may vary by hospital, but if you're doing what's called an aerosol generating procedure, so something that's going to aerosolize viral particles, so things like intubating a patient or doing certain types of uh, work as a respiratory tech, you need to wear an N95. But um, if you are just seeing patients in like triage or in emergency, um, then it's contact and droplet, which are um, surgical masks or procedure masks uh, with eye protection and gloves and a gown. Wow, wow. That's really interesting. And so what is the, um, what's sort of the atmosphere in Ottawa? Because here, like here in Calgary, you know, like we're seeing stores are obviously still open, but all non-essential services are shut down. Um, we're all practicing social and physical distancing. Um, but what's it sort of been like in Ottawa as a resident there as like, as a, as a person in society? Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty similar. So I live in a village just outside of Ottawa, which um, makes it very interesting to drive in because the traffic has all but disappeared. Uh, So I don't have a rush hour anymore, which is probably the most noticeable thing for me is how many people are no longer commuting in and out. Um, We also have non-essential services are closed. Uh, Any gatherings over five people are banned. Uh, There's a mandatory quarantine for anyone coming back from traveling. And I think the fines now for that are like $750,000. Oh, wow. Um, Like they're substantial. Uh, The stores that are open, they have very set limits about how many people can be in them. Uh, And then in the hospitals, we are all all practicing social distancing. So trying to stand at least two meters from our colleagues. Um, gift shops are shut down any non-essential stuff in the hospital is shut down they do still have uh, like the cafeteria and food services open for staff uh, but we also don't have any visitors coming into hospital except for 
um, compassionate reasons. So if somebody is actively dying, uh, potentially a family member can come in. Uh, mm. But um, we like it's very restricted right now. So really, unless you have a very good reason to be in the hospital right now, you won't be. Um, and they've restricted a lot of the door accesses as well, just to make sure that people aren't getting in when they shouldn't be there. Um, and just to keep everybody safe. Wow. That's so, that's gotta be interesting to be in a hospital and just to try to keep a social distance, like you said, between your colleagues. I mean, I couldn't imagine kind of the dance that you all have to do to be, uh, separated. Yeah. Like separate from each other. If you're doing a procedure or if you're just standing in chatting it's probably such a strange it is uh it's very telling how narrow the hallways are and how close together (laughs) our computers have been put Um, (laughs) so we'll go to chart or we'll go to like go down a hallway or something and there'll be someone else there and it's sort of this awkward like okay how can we stay as far away as possible and uh that's when you're like true canadian comes out it's like oh sorry no i'm just gonna oh i'll just (laughs) sorry that's exactly what it looks like yeah (laughs) Um, and then in elevators, you can only have four people in the elevator. So you're all supposed to stand in a corner. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So like, it feels very ridiculous because you get in this elevator and then you immediately back into the farthest corner away from somebody who's already in the elevator. And it feels Mm. very antisocial and it feels like very (laughs) rude. Yeah. (laughs) Where you're like, it's not you. It's social distancing. (laughs) I swear. It's not you. It's Corona. Well, and I feel like, like Michelle said, like being Canadian, we're automatically like so apologetic and so polite. (laughs) And, you know, this is just like testing all of our like social norms, even at the store, (laughs) somebody walked by me and I acted like I was like shoplifting something. I was like turning away from them and, (laughs) you know, like trying to like not breathe their air because they were, you know, too close for comfort. Um, yeah, that's been really interesting. What's the atmosphere like in the hospital amongst staff? Because I can imagine like from like janitorial staff to security all the way to doctors, you know, it's got to be, I would think it's a really intense environment, but how do you find it working there? Um, I will say, I think that our hospital staff have done a very good job of trying to communicate and make sure that people are up to date on what's happening, which has been enormously helpful. Um, I think a lot of any time that I've heard of people um, feeling extraordinarily stressed, it's almost always in the face of um, the unknown or, you know, being insecure about what's going to happen next and just that fear of the unknown. And so um I find that it's been very helpful when people have come out and said, here's what we know as an organization. Here's what we're doing. Everybody gets the same emails. Um, and that even program directors for different residency programs are doing a very good job of communicating with their residents saying, this is where we're at. This is sort of the state of the union. We know that this can change quickly, but here's what we have for now so that people still feel like when there's a change in information, they will receive it in a timely way. Uh, and we won't all be kind of running around in the dark, not sure of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's been helpful. And I think that that's helped to sort of reduce some of the load on staff. And I think there's also a really good collegial environment where I am, where people really do want to help each other. Uh, and so even though we're all, you know, stressed and we're all looking at this going, this could be very big and very serious and, um, could tax our healthcare system in a way that it has never been taxed before. Um, 
we are also saying like, these are my colleagues, these are my teammates, and I want to support them in a way uh, that I would want to support any teammate. Um, but more so probably for us, because we spend so much time together <laughs> that <laughs> you can't help but uh, start to become a bit of a family, uh, at least in your program. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And is your partner um, in Ottawa with you? He is indeed. He works for the food bank, which is also an essential service. So he is also oh, still wow. at work. <laughs> wow. And has he seen a um, a big surge in demand? Um, yes. So anytime you have lots of people laid off, demand for services like the food bank go way up. Um, I don't I don't have any specific numbers. I just know that from my social work days, I could, you can map them. They basically, those lines sit on top of each other. Um, But when people were hoarding and, you know, buying 70,000 pounds of rice and 400 rolls of toilet paper and all of those sorts of things, um, it became a bit of a challenge. And the food bank actually had to put out a call asking for donations because donations went way, way down for those couple of weeks where everybody was panic buying everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a great recipe for when need goes up. And so I know that a lot of charities have been struggling. They've had to find new ways to support their clients because you can't necessarily have people come in. So how do you deliver your services, um, when you can't have people physically come to your space or you don't want them physically coming to your space, uh, has been a challenge for a lot of nonprofits, the food bank included. Wow. That's really interesting. Do you see a sort of a surge in, uh, mental health concerns with people because of this, or would you maybe not where you're working necessarily see a big surge in that? So mental health is an interesting world because a lot of mental health happens outpatient in family doctor's offices or in the community and never gets seen by psychiatry. Uh, so I suspect that a lot of people who offer services in the community, so community therapists, community um, counselors, and family physicians are probably seeing more people um, with anxiety, uh, some depression, particularly with uh, sort of the very isolating feeling that social distancing can be, though I will say it is not. I don't like the term social distancing. It is physical distancing for social solidarity. Um, I (laughs) I have noticed there's been a shift in the media and um, online with their, I find like even commercials, they're no longer using uh, social distancing. It's now physical distancing. Yeah. And I think it's, that's actually a very important change in the verbiage because social distancing implies that we are trying to isolate ourselves from others and be disconnected. And that is not what people typically need in times where we are facing big challenges. Our primary strength as humans is our ability to work together as social animals. We are better at it than pretty much every other social animal on earth. That's why we sit at the top of the food chain. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think in that way, um, going to physical distancing as a way of protecting the most vulnerable amongst us, which is the actual intent of it. This is a this is an action of solidarity as a species of saying we understand that some of us are at very much increased risk if this happens. And so all of us together are going to make very thoughtful and deliberate choices to live our lives in a way that is contrary to the way we would normally choose to do so in order to protect those people. And that's not distance. That's actually unity. Right. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. 
that that is a very good way of looking at it and a very good way of uh, explaining it. Um, I have a question might be silly, yeah. but when you are uh, hearing maybe from the, like coming down the pipeline that maybe they need to take some residents into the medical side, or are you kind of sitting there thinking like, please don't pick me, please don't pick me. Or are you thinking like, okay, great. Like this is a good challenge for me to kind of try something different or, or, or go into a different uh, department for a little while. Uh, you know what? I think it's one of those things um, really like everybody has their areas that they're more comfortable in and less comfortable in. And certainly there are some areas of medicine where uh, I would be more enthusiastic to go to because uh, I just feel more comfortable there. I feel like I'm more competent in those areas um, and somewhere it would be more of a struggle with probably my own kind of issues and my own self-esteem going, Oh, am I really the right choice to go here? Um, but at the end of the day, um, I'll go where I need to go and I'll do what I need to do because that's what we will all do in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, it was funny cause I know that your podcast is called, I did not sign up for this. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking about it the other day cause I was like, yeah, definitely didn't sign up for a pandemic, but I was like, Except you actually kind of do. Um, <laughs> when you decide to become a doctor and you do the oath of Hippocrates when you graduate and all of those things, um, you do sign up for this and you do sign up yeah. to be the person that turns around and runs toward the thing that most other people are moving away from. Um, and you choose to do that in a number of areas. So, you know, for me, palliative care was a challenge because I have not insignificant death anxiety. And so having yeah. to learn how to run towards that and say, okay, I'm doing this anyway, and I'm here to be a service to the people who I'm here, you know, to treat um, and to be a physician for was a challenge. And this is no different. It's learning how to face that challenge despite my own anxieties and all of those things. Um, and it's something that we're all learning together. So it's nice to have a very good cohort of people where we can kind of talk to each other and say, you know what, we're all kind of stressed out. We're all kind of in the unknown here. This isn't something that we get a lot of training in because it doesn't happen very often, but we're going to do the best thing we can for each other. We're going to support each other and we're just going to keep asking what's the next right thing to do. Well, and I think to your point, you know, like you, you kind of did literally sign up for it. But at the same time, I imagine a lot of people, um, especially in first world countries where we're very privileged, sort of think like you signed up to be a doctor and especially like a doctor of psychiatry. Um, you know, you weren't, you weren't sort of going to school to think like, how can I, you know, go to third world countries and face the most, you know, um, hard pressed people. Um, so it is, yeah, you like kind of did literally sign up for it, but I don't think when you made the decision to become a doctor that you were like, man, if there's ever a pandemic, I am good to go. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, three months ago, I didn't think to myself, man, if there's a pandemic, <laughs> I'll be good to yeah. go. Three months ago, this wasn't on anyone's mind. Like none of us were thinking about it. Literally. I was in internal medicine three months ago doing my rotation there. And this wasn't even close to the radar. The biggest thing we had on the horizon was flu, which we were already in because flu season mm -hmm. starts in like October, November. So that was, you know, it's been a huge change. Um, and 
we really are looking at like, you know, the scope of this pandemic is something we really haven't seen since probably like 1918 uh, with the big Spanish influenza. Because if you look at SARS and MERS, um, yes, there was lots of talk about, you know, needing to suppress the spread of it. But we actually were much more successful because they were much less infectious. Uh, right. Whereas, mm. whereas with COVID, it's so infectious. Uh, and we're, we're seeing now as it spreads across the world that we aren't doing a great job of suppressing it the way that we did with SARS and MERS and some of these other ones that have broken out over the years, but then sort of disappear out of the news within a month or two because mm-hmm. um, our quarantine efforts work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's why so many people, um, what am I trying to say? Like, do you think that's why so many people are so dismissive or thinking that all these efforts are too extreme? And, you know, Donald Trump was recorded as saying, like, the 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 cure shouldn't be worse than the disease because people don't realize that it's how infectious it is that's the problem you know it's yes the flu kills a lot of people every year and there was SARS and MERS um but what's different in this case is is that it's just spreading so easily and so fast I think that's a really complex question and there's a lot of things that go into it um I think in the case of you know some people particularly when you start to hear business I I honestly do feel for people who own businesses or who are business minded because we are asking them to make in some cases very tremendous sacrifices um, Mm -hmm. and take on financial risk that they also did not sign up for um, and do so out of the sense of social solidarity with no guarantee that things will work out and be okay after. Um, And that's a lot to ask of anybody. And so I do, I do understand where they come from. I think part of the reason people are dismissive about it is that if you look at the straight um, statistics of it, where they say, well, 85% of people is, are fine. Well, 85% of, you know, is not an unreasonable number to feel fairly confident in if, if you're always, if you've always been the one who's been fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a healthcare perspective, what I think people often don't entirely understand and what the whole flatten the curve movement has been about has been trying to illustrate the fact that um, we can deal with many diseases that cause about 15% of people who get them to need hospital. We, we do it every day. Um, Many of our chronic diseases have people end up in hospital at some point. However, um, we can't have them all end up in hospital all at the same time. And that's where, the infectiousness of COVID and the spread, rate of spread of COVID becomes a problem because we can't have everybody in the hospital all at once. I was going to ask you a question though about the communication that you were talking about within the within the hospital and within the departments. I can mm-hmm. imagine it must be very difficult to um, make sure everyone's getting that information. And I know, you know, in television shows and stuff like that, all the doctors are sitting in a conference room or they're sitting in a big auditorium and, and they're getting information <laughs> So obviously, um, you guys are, you were saying you were getting emails about kind of the changes on a daily basis or on a regular basis about what, what is changing and what is happening in the hospital. 
Yeah. So um, a lot of those kind of big group things that you see on TV, they do actually happen. Grand rounds is a thing <laughs> in the hospital where everyone comes into the auditorium <laughs> and listens to someone talk about something that they find interesting. And two thirds of the room is checking their email on their phone. Um, <laughs> but um, it, those have all sort of gone by the wayside because of social distancing and like the idea that we should not probably be congregating in large groups. Um, those are not the preferred form of information sharing. Even handover for many departments is shifting to not have people all crowd around the same table to discuss cases, but to call mm-hmm. in from their offices or try and find ways to do that so that people are a safe distance apart. Um, and so emails have become very popular. Zoom meetings have become very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and phone calls um, and doing communication sort of those ways. Um, But email has definitely probably been the king in all of this. Um, I get 800,000 emails a day between the (laughs) five email addresses that I currently have. (laughs) And so, you know, I I laugh every time I get one from like David's tea telling me what they're doing to manage the pandemic. (laughs) I just don't care. I'm sorry, David. (laughs) You're like, let me tell you what I'm doing. (laughs) I was like, I'm glad that you feel like you want to be part of the solution and that you want to like do your part. I don't need to hear about it. No I'm kidding. Like, just put it on your website. If I care, I'll look. Yeah. Too funny. I have found it really interesting how, yeah, my emails are now all like, I'm curious to find out what Canadian Tire is doing. And, <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that Vistaprint is offering, you know, like it's just like it's so – it's good. Well, and then, and it's and like, then that, that way you realize how many emails that you need to unsubscribe from because you're getting them all from, you know, companies that you subscribed to years ago. And now we hear about how they're all trying to deal with this pandemic. It's like, okay, well, I don't, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bought one shirt 12 years ago. It's, it doesn't fit anymore. Yeah. We, you, can, you can let me off your email list. Yeah. Um, no kidding. But what I will say about the idea of like physical distancing and staying home and stuff like that is I understand when people are, you know, reluctant to do it because it's so hard. Um, But if you look at the numbers of it, it works phenomenally well. So if we say, I think the average number kicked around for COVID-19 is about three. So one person will infect three other people. Yeah. Exponentially. If you go five steps, you start with one, they infect three, then nine, 27, 81. So in five Mm -hmm. steps, you've gone from one person to 121. But if you did those same five steps and had seven people stay home. So in step one, one person decides to stay home. In step three, two people do. And in step four, let's say we have four people stay home. Those numbers go from ending up at 121 to being one, three, six, 12, and 24. So you drop to 46. Um, wow. And like, that is some fast idea. math. And that is why you're a doctor and we are not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, just going to trust your math on that one, Jamie. <laughs> I did it all while I was on call last night. Um, and because I knew I was doing this podcast today. Uh, oh, so funny. It's, it's 75 fewer people overall that end up infected. But that actually translates into in terms of healthcare numbers. That's 23 to 30 fewer visits to the emergency room. It's 11 fewer people who get admitted to hospital. It's four fewer people that get admitted to ICU and at least one fewer death. Wow. And in terms of healthcare savings, 
it's over a million dollars. And that's before doctor's fees, medication fees, and investigations. Hospital costs alone, those seven people saved the healthcare system over a million dollars using the numbers. Um, I had to pick some numbers. So I went with um, the billing list for non, uh, so non-Canadian uninsured patients uh, get bills if they come to the hospital in Canada. And right. uh, one of the hospitals in my region had their billing list available. So I used one of those to calculate those numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. But it ended up being like a million forty one thousand five hundred dollars in hospital savings because those seven people stayed home. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And, and that know, makes total sense. I mean, sense. you look at it that way and it's like, of course, we need to stay home. And of course, we need to stay, you know, vigilant. And, and I mean, for me, I guess the seriousness came when everything is closing and schools are closing. And it's like, those decisions are not easy decisions to make, to, to close a school, to have people close down their businesses, to have people laid off, to, you know, uh, potentially closing down your small business and never being able to recover for it. Those decisions are not easy ones to make. And to kind of be in this reality now where we are, it's like, this is serious and this is protecting our, our most vulnerable and it is taking pressure off the healthcare system. And it is working. And I, I followed this, this doctor on TikTok of all places, but he was talking (laughs) about how, you know, um, the, one of the problems that's going to come out of this is that everyone has stayed home. The curve was flattened. And now people are going to come out of it thinking like, what, why did we do that? You know, what was, Mm -hmm. you know, this wasn't as serious as everyone thought it would be. And it's like, well, yeah, because you stayed home and we flattened the curve, but it's the mindset of, well, everyone was overreacting, you know, this is panic and this is not necessary, but it really is. Well, and I think we can look at even comparing Canada to America. Um, You know, America's not taking it as seriously across the board. Um, And I think you can like see those parallel numbers, how many cases they have versus how many cases we have. Um, Mm -hmm. So I hope people consider that. Um, Jamie, I don't know if you can speak to this. I'm just curious about it. I see a lot of people's arguments um, saying, why don't we just have the vulnerable and high-risk people self-isolate and everybody else can get back to normal? Um, but I don't know. What What do you think about that? Because uh, I've sort of like got my own ideas, but I am not a doctor. <laughs> so, I mean, the problem with that logic is that you haven't flattened the curve if all you do is keep vulnerable people inside because yes, you flatten the curve for them, but you still have the rest of the population running around getting sick, spreading this around. And when it comes to COVID, I mean, we know certain people for sure are at higher risk of poor outcomes. People who are older, people who are sick, people who are immunosuppressed. These are the people who are at higher risk for most illness, like a bad outcomes from most illnesses. Right. Uh, as we look at other countries where COVID has kind of run rampant, so places like Italy, places like the U.S., um, it's not exclusively the older immunosuppressed or ill people who are getting very sick and dying from COVID. It is young people, healthy people, it's healthcare providers, it's um, people who don't usually fit that mold of the person who needs to stay home. And so... Yeah. Uh, if 
you know, and that's a very large portion of the population. So if they are running around and you have this thing sort of tearing through the population, infecting everybody, uh, you still run into the same problem of these choke points in the healthcare system. And we actually don't know uh, because COVID is new. Um, we don't have great data on exactly who it is that is at the greatest risk. We don't have great data on who will get sick and who won't. And so if we could reliably say, oh, this is only a problem for this group of people, then maybe you could have a conversation around, does it make more sense to self-isolate the people at risk versus everybody? But we can't say that. Um, and so, you know, it's it would be playing Russian roulette with 33 million people's lives. It's interesting times. And I encourage people to like, listen to the people who are far smarter than me. There are a lot of very good <laughs> public health doctors and epidemiologists who are doing absolutely incredible work right now. Um, and so listen to those people. They know more than I do. All I do is parrot what I hear them say. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting time in healthcare. It's an interesting time in the world. Um, mm -hmm. I think it will forever change some things about the way that we live our lives and do business and travel and do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think it's a time where like as humans, one of our greatest attributes is that we have been so adaptable um, looking at our species over, you know, the last however many thousands of years uh, we we've done some pretty dramatic things in terms of changing the way we live our lives uh, this yeah. is just another thing that's going to change some of the ways in which we live our lives, but not all of them. Yeah, right. that was going to be my next question is, do you, do you think when we come out on the other end of this, whenever that is, that there will be some obvious changes in the way that we just operate as humans in society? Um, I suspect there absolutely could be. Um, I think we've seen part of that already. So, I mean, certainly you've seen some legislation come out of uh, the countries where COVID started. So, um, you know, the banning of consumption of wild animals in some areas of Asia, uh, that happened previously, I think with SARS, it was, I think it was SARS where it was a similar thing where they had sort of a crackdown on that and it kind of gradually faded over the years. I, I wonder if this one is going to be a little bit more um, emphatically followed up on just because this one has been quite a bit more catastrophic in terms of a worldwide uh, kind of effect as well as um, I know like even in Wuhan, I mean, they had to build a hospital in Wuhan to hold all the people that needed to be in hospital. Wow. Uh, so so um, I think that those things people don't forget easily mm -hmm. and that they'll it, it may lead to some uh, very different ways of doing business. I think you'll see um, a little bit more growth in terms of the ability of people to work at home because we've just done a massive social experiment about whether or not people can do it. Um, and yeah. we'll, also, we'll also have a lot of people realize like how much they actually enjoy coming to the office every day. Yeah, yeah it's very true. true. I have a, I have a question. I'm just wondering what your perspective is when it comes to media and social media as a doctor, uh, are you sitting there thinking like, this is, this is too much. This isn't enough. This is fear. This is panic. Or, I mean, I'm sure there's some things you see on Facebook that are shared from, you know, people's elderly, uh, <laughs> family members that are just not true, but I'm just wondering what your perspective is when you're seeing 
uh, a news report or things like that that are coming out about COVID um, as a as a medical personnel. Yeah, it, it certainly runs the cross spectrum. I think a lot of it, um, people have, at least on my feed, and so it may be because like I am actually quite selective in who I have on my social media. <laughs> yeah. um, and a, a good way to get muted is being hysterical and ridiculous. Uh, yes. but, um, so the, the information I've seen people kind of putting through has been, um, you know, typically from like provincial health authorities and people who do have some reasonably good information to share. Um, mm-hmm. I have seen sort of the odd person talking about like, do I need to go to my family doctor to get um, hydrochloroquine and azithromycin? And I'm like, um, no, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. a great idea. Um, <clears throat> it's one thing to use these medications in the hospital as a trial to see if they improve outcomes. Um, but both of those medications uh, cause QT prolongation. So if you're taking them not at the direction of a doctor and you don't have appropriate follow-up and you haven't had, um, like you don't have a doctor who has done the you know appropriate things before putting you on them, uh, they can be dangerous and they can cause like significant health problems. Um, mm-hmm. Case in point, there are people in the States who have died taking these medications because they have taken them the wrong way or in too high quantities, et cetera. Um, and so when I see those sorts of things, I always go, Oh yeah, yeah. No, like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> the super high dose vitamin C I think has been the latest one. Okay. And um, you know, yeah, vitamin C immune system. I mean, we have some evidence for that. It's, but the super high dose vitamin C makes expensive urine and kidney stones. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. if, yeah. If you overconsume vitamin C, a lot of it gets excreted in urine, but if you take super high doses of vitamin C consistently for a prolonged period of time, um, we also have very good evidence that it causes kidney stones. So it's right. not something that you really um, want to be giving yourself in the middle of COVID. Uh, kidney stones are not a great way to spend your time. Um, <laughs> and so I, I always take that stuff with a bit of a grain of salt and say, you know, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people send me things like that because they are, they want to ask me about it or because they want me to know about it. Um, it's always interesting. I always want to read it. Um, I'd like to see the data. And then what I often wait for is to see, okay, so show me the trials coming out of Canada or link me to the people in Canada who are using this right now, who can tell me this is how many people I put on it. This is how many improved. This is how many had bad outcomes. Um, and this is the actual difference that I'm seeing. Yes. Yeah. And I think my favorite thing on social media was the, all you have to do is gargle with salt water. <laughs> yeah. And um, then it, it kills COVID. And I was like, guys, I feel like if it was that simple, it wouldn't be a pandemic. I saw one once that just said, you always have to have your throat be moist. So just drink water all day to wash all the bacteria into your gut. Yeah, I saw that too, because then your gut kills the bacteria or something. And I'm like, that seems ridiculous. I mean, by that argument, none of us would ever have sore throats, right? Right, but- right, right. All you're really doing is giving the entire population primary polydipsia and making people pee a lot. So it's <laughs> all just calm down. Like drink a normal human amount of water. <laughs> eat a normal human amount of vitamins. Uh, what about the guy, I, I believe he was a doctor in the States, who said that you just have to hold a, a microwave up to your face? What? 
<laughs> I did not see that one. Please do not microwave your face. <laughs> I know that I am but an R1, and so I am very early in my doctor training, and that is a big thing I want everybody listening to this to know. I am not offering medical advice, aside from don't mm-hmm. microwave your face. Don't microwave your face. I have solid research saying that, that is not a great idea. I will happily... Happily stand beside that as a medical opinion. <laughs> Do not microwave your face. Can you maybe give any advice um, as we kind of wrap things up for people? You know, because we have a large listener group so far. Nobody. I mean, um, those four people are just <laughs> that might this. listen. Um, for people to take care of their mental health during this time, um, you know, what are some tips just to make sure people are. Yeah, especially healthy. if you're isolated, if you're mm-hmm. if you're alone, if you're yeah, I mean that's got to be a toll. Home alone with five children, Michelle. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, please. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, Michelle, I have to tip my hat to you because honestly, if I was at home with five children right now, they would be mm-hmm. in a box on the side of the road marked free puppies. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I, I tip my hat. I have. Everybody looks at it and goes, oh, I don't know how you do your job. I don't know how you do that. So oh, thank you. Kudos. Um, thank you. <laughs> but I think in terms of like maintaining mental health during this time, this is a time when a lot of community agencies that are providing a lot of mental health services to people who are very vulnerable are shut down or their services yeah. are dramatically reduced. Um, and we are seeing the results of that. And we are certainly seeing an uptick in, in anxiety and some depression and things like that. Um, and I think um, in looking at that, uh, one of the big things is realizing that, you know what, you're, while you're physically distant from people, you're not actually alone. And so set up the zoom meetings, call your friends, do the things to connect. I've, one of the things I've seen the sort of birth of in this is the virtual FaceTime cocktail hour, which I absolutely love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People are FaceTiming into each other's living rooms to drink a glass of wine and even watching like Netflix specials. They'll, they'll both watch the same show over FaceTime and then talk about mm-hmm. it after. And I think that's fantastic. Like, I think that's one of the best things that we can do is to stay in contact with people. If you're needing help, if you are feeling very isolated, if you are starting to have thoughts um, of harming yourself or somebody else, or you're just feeling like the, that you're not okay, reaching out to those professionals who are doing um, appointments by Skype, a vast majority of community uh, mental health practitioners, so therapists, counselors, et cetera, are offering um, teletherapy and online therapy now as mm-hmm. a way of filling in the gap until you can get into their office in person. Um, you know, access those people. They're they are helpful. They and they can often be helpful in a very short amount of time. They can give you strategies. They can give you things to do. Um, take time out of your day to do the things that you love to do. Don't let your uh, entire house turn into an office. That's one of the big dangers of working from home is that right. work kind of intrudes into everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So keeping that routine that you have during the week of I get up, I take a shower, I wear actual clothes that I would wear, <laughs> um, instead of just sweatpants all day. Um, okay, are, I'm feeling like, very attacked right now. Well, <laughs> I know. (laughs) And for a few days, it's really fun, right? Like when isolation started, everybody sort of went, oh, I'm being asked to sit on the couch and watch Netflix in sweatpants. This is awesome. Yes. For the first few days, it was great because it's a little bit like being on a vacation. And Mm -hmm. then the reality of 
well, this is a vacation that I don't get to just stop sort of sets Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And for most people, like as humans, we thrive on routine. So get back into that routine of I get up, I, you know, put on my clothes, I take my shower, I eat breakfast, I go to quote unquote work in my whatever area of the house I work in for my X number of hours of workday. And then I shut it down and I go back to living my life that is separate from my work. Um, Yeah, right. That's really good advice. And I think especially as we head into, you know, there's talk about it being months, right? It's not just a two week thing that people I think were initially expecting. It's much longer. It's got the potential of being much, much longer. Very much so. I think the last one is I would say it can be very easy to kind of spin out and start to wonder what's going to happen, you know, one day, one week, one month, one year down the road. And, um, you know, this is, this does have, you know, wide reaching potential consequences and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the ways that I found being very helpful, even being in the midst of it as a medical professional is, and whenever I've run into stressful things is, okay, there's lots of what ifs happening right now. And it's probably not as helpful for me to kind of perseverate about those because, I can't really do anything about the what ifs that are way down the road. What I can do mm-hmm. something about right now is what is the next right thing for me to do based on the information I have right now. And mm-hmm. so um, keeping that focus on what is the next right thing and what is, you know, what is the next step? And I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to ask myself that same question again. Um, yeah. It's been helpful kind of to stay present and, and not to get carried away in the, you know, Twitter verse of, here are all the catastrophes that could happen over the next <sighs> years. Yeah. And Jamie, from a professional standpoint, would you recommend people maybe start listening to new podcasts and <laughs> particularly yes. ones with funny hosts? <laughs> yes. So I, I think podcasts are a fantastic way to use your time. I legitimately think this, like I do listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're a fantastic use of time. I think that if you like, you if you enjoy the hosts because they're funny or they're interesting or they're relatable, um, that's great. And it's a perfectly reasonable reason to listen. And like, I think we all need those moments of joy in our lives of listening to somebody who we resonate with, who we can just laugh. I have laughed out loud in my car driving to and from work when I have listened to a podcast that's particularly funny. Um, And then I also think, you know what? Um, Shakespeare wrote King Lear when he was in isolation for uh, Black Plague, or so I've heard. Um, So being in isolation is a great chance to learn new things, and podcasts are a free way to do it. So listen away have fun. It's interesting. And I think that's the key. As long as it's entertaining and it's something that takes you away and sort of gives you that escape and you you earnestly enjoy it, then great. Um, What I discourage people from doing is don't fall down the rabbit hole of listening to uh, any media, whether it's podcasts, the news, uh, Fox, whatever it is, uh, (laughs) hurricane of anxiety. Um, And if if Facebook is doing that, because Facebook is very good at that in times Mm -hmm. of crisis, turn it off, shut it down take a walk um, like there you're not obligated to know everything about this situation at all times to be a contributing part of the human race like you don't actually need to know all of this stuff all the time you don't need to live this every moment of the day to contribute mm-hmm. to it in a positive way mm-hmm. so take mm-hmm. the breaks that you need to keep yourself well and healthy so that you can sort of 
get through the whole marathon because we know now that this is not going to be a sprint. Right. Right. Well, I, I even find myself kind of stuck in that too. Once my kid's school was closed, it was an immediate, uh, barrage on Facebook of, um, homeschooling schedules and websites and free resources. And, um, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And it, and it caused me so much anxiety, um, to think about now I've got five kids at home. I'm also still working, um, outside of the house. And so, um, how am I going to do this? I've had my kids in school and daycare this whole time, uh, where they're learning, where they're being taught by people who actually know what they're doing. Um, and now I've got to somehow keep up with this schedule, compare myself to what other parents are doing, make sure I'm going on these websites so that they're learning, learning, learning all the time. And that was so difficult to kind of look at. Um, and the anxiety just, just rose in me because it is a scary time. You know, I, I'm not a teacher. I am a mother. I, I do my best, but it's very hard to see what social media can do to you and your self-esteem and, and everything that you think that you were doing right. And now you're like, I don't, I don't think I'm doing any of this right. So it is, it's very true that you need to step away from things like that because it can get you, it can get you stuck really easily. Yeah, avoiding using it as a sort of model of social comparison of, well, this mom made this healthy snack and, you know, schooled her children in ancient Greek for an hour and a half this morning, <laughs> and then also happened to teach them Japanese in the afternoon and they finished it off by like hand manufacturing dumplings for like experiences. <laughs> like, that's awesome if you can do that. If you can do that at home and it's it's a thing that fits in the light in your life with your family and it's a thing that brings you joy, do those things. But mm -hmm. if that's not something that's realistic for your family, if that's not something that's going to bring you guys joy and it's not going to ultimately, um, you know, make a, a life changing difference, um, then I would say it's OK to let those things go. Um, yes, missing a few months of school is not ideal, but mm -hmm. we're all in this together and we will all figure it out together. And so do the best you can. But if your kids at the end of the day are fed, clothed, happy, healthy, and um, doing basic, you know, doing the basics of education, like even reading for fun during mm -hmm. this time. That's great. And if your kids are old enough, if they want to keep a journal and sort of write down the story of what is happening right now, we are living uh -huh. in a tremendously interesting time. We had, we see countless examples of this in the literature of people who just literally kept a journal or a diary of amazing events in human history that maybe didn't feel so life-changing when they first started, but certainly turned right. in that way. Um, and so kids who are at home who, you know, want to practice writing, write about what's happening, write about your thoughts and what's going on in your world. Um, go out into the backyard or into safe spaces where you can um, look at things in a new way, talk about the things you saw today that you wouldn't have seen if you were at school mm -hmm. uh, or the things you wouldn't have done. Uh, if you were at school today and yeah, yeah. this That's is a, a great idea, experience, even if it's a different experience. I mean, this is our kids. I walked uphill both ways in a snowstorm to school moment, right? Like absolutely. You know, they complain and we talk about how we had to walk two kilometers to school and wait 10 hours for the bus and all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> They're going to tell all their friends about the time they had to stay inside for two months. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that that's, 
you know, finding those ways to insert that little bit of humor. I mean, I saw someone the other day circulating like Elf on a Shelf. And like, yes, this is your chance to terminate Elf on a Shelf. <laughs> <laughs> elf on the a Shelf did not survive the virus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so like, you know, find those things that make this livable. Um, it's, it is serious. We all know that none of us are making fun of it to try and diminish the seriousness of it. Yes. But there's also a piece about surviving it and doing that with all our sanity and our happiness intact. And if what that takes is some stupid memes on the internet, I've seen worse things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's interesting because my son lost a tooth again last night and the tooth fairy didn't come. And I uh, told him that the tooth fairy is in quarantine because that's the world we're living in right now. So <laughs> sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, right? <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, yeah. really, truly, she shouldn't be going into people's houses. It's true. I mean, she doing she this could be social part of the problem. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, like the tooth fairy is a COVID nightmare. Like, yeah. Please put up signs. Do not let the tooth fairy into your house. Oh my Too gosh, funny. Jamie, this was so funny. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Oh well, thanks for having me. It was a ton of fun. Well, Michelle, that was phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I have never felt so inadequately educated <laughs> in my life. Like, what we have went I to the same high life? school, right? We we all went to the same high school, and now look at look at our lives compared to hers. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was seriously so good to reconnect with her. Awesome. And um, yeah, like man, being a resident doctor during a pandemic. Yeah. I feel like we need to ask people, like, you know, in podcasts, they're always like, you know, send us an email or let us know what you think. I feel like we need to do that, but we don't have any listeners yet. So <laughs> what if I ask people and then nobody does it? Then we'll just cry. <laughs> we'll just open our email and we'll do that Instagram filter where it's like, da -na 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 -na. <laughs> sad leaves come down and we'll just cry together. Okay, here's what I'm going to say. If you just listened to this episode, go on Facebook or Instagram and tell me that you listened to it. Yeah, do it. We want to know. And we want to know what are, who our listeners are. Yeah, and what are you doing to stay busy and mentally healthy during this um, social solidarity? I love that. I made a note that she said that. I love um, that. I like it because it's like it's physical distancing in social solidarity. Yeah. Like we're all um, doing it for the good of humanity. Like it's, yeah, it's probably very difficult for a lot of people, especially ones that are struggling with mental health. Um, but we do have the technology and we do have the resources that we can reach out. And I think yeah. too, if you feel like your friends or your family are struggling during this, um, call them, step outside their house, hold up a boom box outside their window and place their favorite song, like something that is going to make them feel like you're still there and they're not alone. Even I'm though they do that to you. Do I'm going to stand outside your house and sing the entire my fair lady soundtrack. Do it. Oh my gosh. That'd be amazing. Just get me to the church on time. <laughs> I'm getting married in the morning. <laughs> so if you are listening to this podcast and you liked it, um, 
please consider hitting the subscribe button and listening to our other episodes. We're going to release them weekly um, for your listening pleasure, hopefully. Oh, wow. That's a little little intimate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, and if you want to follow us on social media, we are on I did not sign up for this dot podcast on Instagram and I did not sign up for this on Facebook. And please send us your stories if you want to be interviewed, if you want to just send us a quick message about a story that you're experiencing. We would love to hear about it and share it. Yeah, do it. Do it. And cue the outro music. Bye.